0: And uh, earlier when Diana was talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the simulcast up here and uh, she said that the men uh, should tune out, I had a lot of empathy for her husband because I know how much he normally hangs on her every word. You know, that must have been extremely difficult for him to do that. Looked like a great event, uh, an event that I would, you know, love to go to and um, wondering if maybe I put on a dress and promised to use the right restroom if they would let me go. But I'm not going to go there, Okay. Uh, but there are some guys who did go someplace, and um, how do you like that for transition? Um, and uh, uh, these guys uh, left, actually, on May 14th, 1804. Not exactly yesterday, but a uh, significant date in the nation's history, because on that date, uh, these two men and a select group of volunteers set out on a journey that would become the, the journey, the adventure of the century. They left from Camp Dubois on the Wood River on a journey of discovery through uncharted territory through the expanding United States. The two men, the two friends, were two men by the name of Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, and they set out on a journey with what was to be called the Corps of Discovery. And there was no way that they could possibly anticipate all the needs that they would have on this journey because they were going to an area where no western person had ever gone before. And it would be a uh, place that was not on the maps. They would need to map their journey as they went. As a matter of fact, you know, coincidentally, it very much is the same journey that uh, Brenda and her family took, you know, as they went out to Washington, the same kind of, same, same kind of route. But back then, they would have had to go through grizzly country. Uh, they would have to navigate rivers that would be loaded with rapids Uh, navigate and and, uh, climb snow-filled mountain passes and jagged peaks that defied crossing. And along the way, what they would do is that if they would experience success, they'd be blazing the way for other people to follow. But if failure, there was no plan B. There would be no rescue for them. All they knew is that they were called. Called, in their case by the President of the United States to a mission, a journey of discovery. So they packed up all they could and they headed west. And there was another man in Scripture this time, many years before, who also was called to a journey, also called to head west. And this man was a man by the name of Abram, or Abraham, as many of us know him. And uh, the Lord spoke to him for the first time in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where he said these words, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. This meant going where he had never been before, leaving behind all that was familiar, trusting in a God who Abram had just met. But if there's trouble, there is no plan B, no one to bail him out. Abram could stand to lose everything on this journey. It was like uh, Lewis and Clark's expedition a journey or an a adventure of discovery. But uh, not in this case just a discovery of new lands, but rather a discovery of the character, the very nature, the heart of the God who speaks. Because this was an unusual thing to, to hear from, from the Lord. And he's wondering at this point in time, had to be wondering at this point in time, could this God be trusted? Even if powerful, could this God be a God who would show compassion and mercy and love? Now, Abraham lived at a time, uh, well, he, he lived, first of all, in the household of his father until the ripe old age of 75 years old. Now, for those of you who may have adult children still at home, failure to launch kids at home, Imagine them living with you until the ripe old age of 75. That would be Abram. And Abram lived there with his wife Sarai, soon to be called Sarah, and others as well. Because in those days, it really wasn't so much the nuclear family that we might think of today. It would be this extended family that would live together in in a tribe or a people group. And after the death of his father, Abram became the head of that household, the head of that tribe, the head of that people group. And at that period of time in that place, uh, these people would have had multiple gods, all kinds of gods, numerous gods, gods of the land, uh, gods who would represent forces of nature, gods who were household gods. And the household gods would be uh, gods who would be, you know, these little statuettes that would be set up on the mantle that they could look at, and they would be valuable, and they would be treasured, and they would be passed down to the next generation kinds kinds of gods. And, uh, you know, when we read later on in Scripture this story that when we read it, it's kind of strange about Jacob and Rachel who uh, fled from Laban. And when Laban went after them, he didn't go so much after them to find them, it appears, as much as it is that he went after them because Rachel had stolen her father's household gods and they were considered to be valuable. So he, he, he chased them down to try to get them back. But now Abram hears from this God, the God who speaks to him. Household gods didn't speak. They just sat there on the mantle and looked nice. And these other gods... You know, the gods of the land, the gods of nature, God, they didn't speak either, which the people, by the way, were really glad for because had they spoken, they would have spoken uh, in, in terms that would be frightening. They, they were afraid of these gods. These were gods that were considered to be spiteful. They were, uh, they were moody. So what they would do with these gods, the gods of the land, is that they would, they would try to earn their favor, earn their blessing. They would, uh, you know, maybe sacrifice uh, a, a, a herd of donkeys or something like that to try to earn the favor of these gods so that they might bless them, possibly bless them. As a matter of fact, many of these people even practiced human sacrifice. So they might sacrifice their child to these gods to try to earn their favor. But now this God who speaks to Abram is totally different than these other gods of the land instead this god who speaks to abram is one who blesses first and then abram responds this is not a god who demands that uh, that abram do things to earn his favor but instead this one this is one who blesses abram before before he steps foot out of, the, uh, out of Haran toward Canaan, before he trusts in this God, before he does anything, he blesses Abram first. Whoever heard of a God blessing people first? Yet this is what the Lord did in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, when uh, he said these words, before Abram did anything at all, he said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now at the time of the blessing, of course, we know that neither Abram nor Sarai, his wife, were young. So for them to even have one child would have been amazing, but to have a whole nation would have been incredible. This is a a tremendous blessing that God was giving to them first. But this is the way that God works. It reveals God's character, His heart. As he does this, because he is the one who blesses first and then we respond. And our response to God's blessings indicates how much we have received those blessings and how much we trust God. So Abram had this choice to make pack up everyone as the head of the clan, pack up everybody in the clan, you know, uh, which is quite a few people and quite a few animals and everything else, bring them to an unknown place. With no plan B, putting everyone at risk, not just Abram, or ignore the call from this God who speaks and remain remain where he was. Now it appears as though, if we look at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, what we can see is that it appears as though Abram's father might have received a similar call. Because he was headed for Canaan as well, to the very same place that Abram was called to now. But he never made it. Instead, he turned off and went to Haran instead. But now Abram is called to go to this place and to fulfill this kind of a vision, this kind of a mission. The question is, what would he do in response to the blessing? Well, all of us have got uh, various, you know, responsibilities in life, and we've experienced, you know, maybe some responsibilities that were quite high and some responsibilities that were not so great. Uh, when Brenda's talking about that trip that she took with her family, I'm thinking of her dad, thinking of this tremendous responsibility of hauling these, these kids, this family, all the way across the country. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big responsibility. And, and, uh, and for you know, others, you know, maybe they're not as great of responsibilities. Yesterday morning, we uh, had a birthday party for our twin granddaughters and um, had that at a roller rink. Uh, So that, uh, you know, that was kind of, it was a responsibility, but not a huge one for me because there were so many other adults involved as well. But last night when I was preaching, I became very envious of those preachers who got to sit down when they preached because I was rollerblading at this event yesterday and discovered muscles that I hadn't used in quite a while, you know. Uh, But that's a small kind of responsibility. And then there's, you know, medium responsibilities. The weekend before, Linda's parents were in town. And uh, we decided to take them to Greenfield Village. We'd never been to Greenfield Village before. And uh, so we decided to go to Greenfield Village, thought that they might kind of enjoy that. But as it turns out, you know, it's kind of a difficult place to take people who, you know, where one could, you know, struggled with walking, the other one with thinking. And that's just Linda and me. You should see your parents. <laughs> um, you know, uh, kind of kind of a challenge there, but responsible, you know, for everybody that, that is there. And, uh, you know, here we have Abram, who has a huge responsibility. So what is he going to do? How is he going to respond to this kind of a blessing? Now, imagine the conversation that Abram must have had with Sarai after he received this call from God. You know, there's no record that Sarai had received a similar call, You know, it's not like the birth of Jesus or something like that where, you know, an angel goes to one and goes to the other. So he needs to, you know, impart the information. And uh, so he goes to Sarai and says something like, uh, um, Honey, you know that trip to Hawaii we were looking forward to going on? Um, Well, i got a better idea. How about if we go hang out with a bunch of warlords? And, uh, you know, the the kind that really uh, have a hankering for older women. And um, there, you know, they, they are going to probably want to kill me and steal you and take everything we've got. Now, why would anybody want to go to Hawaii when they could go on a trip like that? I mean, come on. But in reality, I think that, you know, he had to share with her how this God was different. The uniqueness of this God. That this God was not like the other gods. That this was a God who would bless first without having to earn his favor. This is a God of grace. So Abraham, or Abram as he was called then, and Sarai and Lot and all of their household took that step of faith and left on a journey of discovery of the character of the God who blesses first, the God of grace. And that's the way that it is with our journey with God, is that ours is a journey of discovery to get to know him one step of faith at a time as we see and discover those blessings that God gives to us first. Because God does bless you first as well, before you do anything. We can see that the greatest blessing that God gives to us, really, is the blessing of Jesus dying on that cross, which happened 2,000 years before anybody in this room was born. And with that period of time that elapses in there, we can see very clearly that there was no way in the world we could possibly do anything First, to try to earn this God's favor so that He could bless us. Instead, He blessed us with the cross, dying for us. This is the God who blesses first. Now, conventional wisdom today is much as it was during the time of Abram. Conventional wisdom today says that we must earn things before we are blessed. Blessed. So conventional wisdom today, for example, uh, says that we, what we get, we get because we deserve it. I am entitled to such and such because I have rights. I have what I have because others owe me. I deserve the best, just ask all the advertisers who keep telling me that. And if I want to get that blessing on the end, I need to be pretty enough, smart enough make enough money, have the right ideology, work hard enough, have the best kids, funny enough, perfect enough in order to be able to get the blessing. But with this God, the blessing comes first. Then the response. We need to become desperate. Desperate for the blessing that God is desperate to give to us. Grace that blesses first. But many don't know the heart of that God. Many don't know him. Many who don't know him still might associate with the name. As a matter of fact, as this lesson that we read a little while ago talks about, many who associate with the name might actually do some good things. So Jesus talked about this in association with Judgment Day when he said this, which it uh, can be some troubling words for many people in Matthew chapter 7 where he said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But we read that and it's like, how can Jesus reject people who did good things in his name? It just doesn't seem fair. I mean, they did what they needed to do to be able to get the blessing. How could this be? The key is in Jesus' words where he said, I never knew you, which are relational words. In other words, God knows people. Jesus knows people as they get to know him and his heart and lean into his character, who've gone on that adventure of discovery as Abraham did to discover this God who blesses first. It's possible to go out and do all kinds of good things and not know the character of God and not lean into the power of God and for that matter not even to need the power of God at all to be able to do those things. But the ones who experience and go on this journey of this adventure of discovery of the character of God are the ones who experience the blessing of God because he is the God who blesses first and then respond to that blessing. So what did Abram do when God revealed his gracious character to him? What did he do? He discovered this, that it's not what you do that makes you good. It's who you trust that makes you good. So Abram stepped out and he trusted God. And how do we know this? I mean, Genesis 12, verse 4 and following talks about it, but it doesn't use the word trust. And yet as we read it, we can see that clearly Abram trusted God because of what he did. It says this, so Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there, and the rest is history. And he had to depend on God's grace, the God who blesses first, to be able to make it through. God's act with Abram in the middle of that night was a desperate act. We need to be desperate for that grace, for His character. And then, like Abram, step out on a journey of discovery, of the character, the character of this God who blesses first, this God of grace and mercy. Amen.